Well, Miss Adelaide, thank you so much for joining with me today. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you for having me, Emily. So um, the reason why I have Miss Adelaide on today is, um, first of all, she is kind of a role model to me. Um, I met her just a couple years ago, and I was just um, in awe, fascinated by the work that she does. Um, I was having just some issues with some, some girls at the school that at the school I was working in that just kind of needed to um, see somebody they could really connect with and see themselves in and kind of help to empower them. And somehow I ended up coming in contact with Adelaide and she just um, didn't know me from anybody. We sat down and had a couple conversations and I think we kind of had a shared spirit and just wanting to help our kids and do better in our community. And not only did she come and help um, my children, but I also learned a lot from you. And um, Adelaide, just kind of what I want to hit on first, I, I think something that's really powerful and a reason a lot of my kids were able to connect with you um, was that you grew up in, in, in the same area as the kids. You kind of grew up in Charleston, is that right? Yes, correct, yeah. correct. Uh -huh. And I, I became a mother at 18 years old, 18 and five days old. And at 18, I moved downtown and I was living on Johnson Street Projects, which is the Sanders Clyde is like right in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. And that's why when I came and spoke with the kids at the school that time um, for the, I think it was um, for the like business, the business owner work, work day or whatever, that I, um, it was very, it was like coming full circle because here I am coming in to speak with them about being an author and an entrepreneur and I would just so vividly remember being a teenage mom by myself with my baby, walking to the bus stop all the way up at Piggly Wiggly when it used to be there. And it just, it, it just was a, it just was a very humbling experience. And I know that it was very enlightening for the children because they were like, you used to live over there? Like, oh, my mom had me at 15. It was like, wow, someone who looks like me and understands me but they're also telling me that i can do better and they've done better so mm -hmm. that was a very good experience for me as well because it showed me how much i had come full circle mm -hmm. and if you don't mind i'd love for you to kind of just share a little bit of your story i know you you know you shared you were a young mom um yes. but i think you went through just some significant struggles and again you know there i know there are a lot of a lot of people that have shared stories like this, but it is always incredible to see when somebody has gone from, you know, just barely surviving, um, trying yeah. to make it day by day. Um, it gets almost to the point you're, why try? But, you know, you go from yeah. surviving to the thriving, and I'm super proud of you. So I would love for you to kind of, and, and you should be proud of yourself, not me. <laughs> uh, you. Proud of you. Thank but, you, you know, I, I would just love to hear a little bit of your story. Okay, awesome. Well, I'm Adelaide Brown, the heart coach. And as a heart coach, I work with individuals to confront matters of the heart so that they can live authentically on purpose. My company is Addie BB LLC, and our mission is to help individuals where we create lasting solutions that help individuals effectively and efficiently overcome internal and external conflict. And I founded the company because I grew up in a lot of internal and external conflict. And for years, I thought that that was what was normal. And I like when I talk about being in an abusive relationship as a teenager, becoming a mom at 18, I moved out on my own at 17, but I had already been taking care of myself 
since I was like 14. And so I grew up very fast because that was just the experience that I had in my life. My mom was a single mom. My dad wasn't in my life. And in my community, you hear that story a lot, almost so much so until it you get desensitized. It's almost like, get over it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, everybody had a single mom. Well, most of us didn't grow up without dad. Okay, so what? No, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. It's a huge deal. It impacts the way we move throughout our lives. When we have to overcome this, the societal difficulties, we have, to, we have to realize that we can't overcome those things until we realize what we're really struggling with. And for me, I had those relational situations going on, and then I had struggles on the inside. I never went to a doctor and got diagnosed specifically. Well, actually, I did get diagnosed with depression and anxiety, and I had a situation when I was in high school where I would say that I did not attempt suicide, but I took a lot of pills because I was trying to escape from the dysfunctional abusive relationship that my mother and I had. And I thought, well, if I could go in the hospital for a couple of days, they'll keep her away from me. And that just can kind of give you an idea of the extremes that I felt like I had to go through at times to even maintain my own mental health and mental well-being. And I think that that's big as a mentor. So I, I do these things in my company because of some of those things I just shared with you about my story. And one of the things that we do in my company, how we create those lasting solutions is we work with young people and we've done mentoring over the years and mentored over a hundred young people. And one of the biggest things I think that happens is many times we look at young people as if it's like a us versus them. And I started to really look at my mentees and my children. I considered them like my own children and I treated them like they were my own kids many times. I looked at them as if I had an opportunity to interact with my 11, 12, 13-year-old self. This was me being a, what, what was I like at 8, 9, or 10? And I kind of remember life from that perspective. And when I do, I can interact with the young people from that way. So when I came to your school for career day, that's what it was for, I thought about being in fifth grade or sixth grade and what was impressionable to me, what would have gotten my attention. And I move from that perspective because a lot of times we, what we don't think enough about is we really can't control anyone else but ourselves. And I think about how do I control myself in a way that positively impacts the environment around me. And I think that's big when we think about working with young people or just anyone, but especially young people. Mm-hmm. Um, you said so much in that. So and one thing I wanted to, there, there's several little things I'm going to pull, um, okay. pull apart there. So one thing I wanted to mention, and I've mentioned in previous podcasts, um, actually two others, because we talked about trauma informed and we also talked about, um, just parent stakeholders. And, um, one thing that is often mentioned in schools that we go in, um, much like, uh, your experience is anytime something goes on in the area, Um, there could be something as bad as a shooting or something like that going on. And I'll often hear something to the effect of our kids are used to this. And, um, our kids are in a way used to seeing violence, but I also am a firm believer that a lot of, um, when we see behaviors at our school, it is, um, 
they are still letting that out the only way they know how to. It is, it Absolutely. is behaviors. And so you can say my kids, our kids are used to this, but the truth is, is they, it, we should be there to show them a different way. We shouldn't just, um, and we should still um, be there to support them and still talk about these things because. Um, yes. And set a new standard. Yes. And, and let them know that just because it's normalized doesn't mean it's normal. Mm -hmm. Just because it's been accepted doesn't mean it's acceptable. And mm -hmm. I think that was the connect, the disconnect with me. I always, I tell my mentees about how in high school I had two sets of friends. Well, I had one set of friends that did really good in school and they got good grades. I was in honors classes with them. That's how we became friends. None of them had babies as teenagers. All of them got their college degrees. And then I have had another set of friends. All of us had babies before we were out of high school. All of us, um, you know, very, you know, got to the point where we almost didn't graduate from high school. And here I am in both of these friend groups. And I fit seamlessly in both friend groups. And I think um, when I looked at the family dynamics, my friends that, you know, were doing well, they came from you know, middle-class families that had a mom and a dad and both parents were working. Um, some of that was my other friends, but not so much. Most of them were coming from, um, you know, difficult backgrounds where parents had passed away or were not there, or you're dealing with a drug-addicted parent that's not um, functionally able to take care of the child or children. And these are realities that we're dealing with. And we have to take all of this into account when we're dealing with children. You can't and that's my issue with, and I, and I know you didn't even ask me about this, but that's my issue with the district, all school, like Charleston County School District, not like calling them out. I know you don't work with them, but I've, every parent survey I've ever done, I've always said, you guys aren't doing enough to include diversity. How do you have a district with this many black children of a Gullah Geechee cultural background, and you're bringing in 90% of your teachers are white and from up north, Ohio, um, New York, or Cal. Like, what are you doing when you have HBCUs in the community with people from these communities? But it, it's, it's just a lot that we have to keep in mind, even as a mentor, because one of the things that, that I think happens as a mentor is like, well, just help the kids. No, you have to think about what's going on politically. You have to think about what's happening, you know, with the police department. You have to think about what's going on with business and growth because gentrification is going to impact what's happening in the community, which is going to impact what right. the children are doing at school, you know. So Absolutely. all of those things you have to kind of keep in mind. I'm sorry, I probably want to. No, no, and, and that, you know, it's, it's something, and, uh, you know, I like that we're getting on this topic because I feel like people are too scared to talk about it sometimes. And, it, you know, the, the truth be told, I, me being a, a white person, when I step in, in the doors and I'm working with kids predominantly, most of the schools I've worked in have been African-American. Um, I have to be aware of like the feelings. I have to be an advocate. I have to recognize, um, you know, underneath we're, we're the same, but it, on the outside, there are real differences. Real differences. Yes. That, you know, I've been able to do that our kids haven't because, um, all, all the way back to slavery is, you know, how yeah. our children back. And, yeah. You know, um, so it is, you know, like, I think that is the first thing, you know, mentors, whatever you look like on the outside, you have to think about the culture of where that child is coming from. Too. Yes. Yes, um, absolutely. And I thank you for doing that. I feel like 
from the time we've met when i met you at mary ford and that was back in 2017 so we're like three years now and one of the things that i appreciated was that you were very sensitive and very sincere when it came to wanting to understand the children and the circumstance before taking some type of action step and i think that's what really drew me in to say hey i can work with her or let's figure something out because I saw how much you were trying. Well, and you know, I, I don't have children of my own currently. If I do ever have kids of my own, I, I don't, I want my kids to also see an African-American teacher. I want, I, yes. I, you know, I believe in, you know, some of my people I look up to the most, you know, I, you know, a, a lady who is Filipino, African-American, like I want my kids to see, a, you know, diversity in their life um and you know in order for that to happen i need to make sure that i'm understanding cultural backgrounds and reaching out to other people as well um so and like i said you are somebody that i look up to a lot um you know for guidance and working with our children learning about the golagichi um so which actually brings me to another thing you said your next big venture here is you are working with the palmetto rose um what is the organization called? Um, it's the City of Charleston Rec Department. They have the Palmetto Artisan Program. Mm -hmm. And I am the facilitator to do the training workshops for young people who are interested in becoming a Palmetto Artisan. And what the Palmetto Artisans do is they make Palmetto Roses and they set up at various spots throughout the city. And the, the ordinance, there was an ordinance that was put in place a couple years ago. And so children, young people can sell roses throughout the city. But when you want to sell in the high tourist areas, you have to be certified through the city rec department. And they, they partner with the police department. And you pretty much get like a, a, a not an actual business license, but a certification to sell as a palmetto artisan. And a lot of the children in the in the peninsula do this automatically. It's almost like a, a rite of passage. When you're old enough to go with your big brothers, not many girls go, usually boys, but girls are welcome. And I remember living downtown. I remember um, when boys were doing it back when I was working on the market as a teenager. But this is actually something that was done since Reconstruction, since slavery days. Like people mm -hmm. were selling the palmetto roses. You had artisans ever since then. But I am now working with the city. I do the workshops where if you want to work in those areas, you have to go through and get certified so that you're um, set with the city. They give you supplies. They give you spaces to set up. And it's kind of like, um, like almost like an umbrella that you can get under and sell. And um, whatever money the young people make is their money. Um, they're working on getting a spot for them in the actual market. And so I'm really excited about that because being a mentor, you can sit around and have conversations. One of the biggest focus of our mentoring program was conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. And conflict resolution and emotional wellness. So with the Palmetto Artisan Program, it's like I tap into those things, but also you get to tie in the economic piece, which really is a big impact. Um, it's a big factor when we talk about what our youth are needing help with and support with what their parents and their families need help with so just you can have young people as young as eight years old out there selling roses and it's just a great opportunity for young people and i'm honored to be able to do it and because i'm passionate about being able to empower anyone individuals but especially thinking that 
I get them to see, no, you're not just selling roses. Like you're a bona fide entrepreneur. Like this is your business. You're a small business owner. And just to see their eyes just kind of twinkle when it's like, really? Yes, really. That's what you are. So it's pretty exciting. Um, you know, I know there was a little bit of controversy around because it used to be that the kids were just allowed to sell rose, you know, nobody yep. ever said anything. Mm -hmm. And a couple of years ago, it became, um, uh, a, just a big stink. I don't a know. Big uproar. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because you had, I think a vendor pulled out a gun on one of the artists. It was weird. And <laughs> it's, it is, that's one of the reasons why. Um, the ordinance is in place and why they want the young people to be certified because when they're certified, they have designated areas that they can sell in. And so in those designated areas, you can't have random market vendors or business owners being upset because you're in front of their store, because if you're in front of their store, you're supposed to be there or that's a designated spot for you. But yes, there has been a lot of contention over the years. And people will say it's an economic thing, yes, but it's also a cultural, racial thing because most of the Palmetto artisans are young, black, um, adolescents, you know, um, youth. The program is from 8 to 18. So you have, you know, young people, you have um, young adults, and then you have primary, primary business owners of white males, you know, and in the South, in our culture, Charleston being like the city where most of slavery came through, you know, it, it's crazy of us to think that, oh, it was just 150 years ago and we're over it. And it's so not true. You can still see it every single day. There's something that bothered about me about that. And I had not really heard both um, sides of it. Hearing you from the inside is what makes me feel better. Um, but, you know, something I thought about as a kid, I used to make some cookies and I would set up a yard sale and I would sell cookies and drinks. I made a killing. I was a really good salesperson. Should throw that out there. Yes, you um, are. <laughs> but, um, you know, nothing was ever, nobody ever thought anything of it. I, I would, exactly. you, I, I probably could have gone right downtown Charleston if I lived here and probably yeah. sold. So, you know, when I saw the kids out, I always was very proud of them. Like, oh, yes. they're like little kids making their money. Um, yes. I thought of it as the equivalent of a kid setting up a lemonade stand. A lemonade I, I stand, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I didn't understand why anybody would really have an issue with it unless, you know, I get if they were coming into the businesses or, or something, but um, I was very surprised by that. But I'm, I'm glad that you kind of have the behind the scenes and I love that you're teaching them about entrepreneurship. Um, yes. Because customer service, having a business plan, mm -hmm. saving your money, financial literacy, um, um, product creation, building relationships with other businesses, you know, building those alliances. We go through all of that while they learn the, the guidelines for the program and we get it done in about three hours or right around three hours, maybe a little less. And, you know, they leave being able to be, you know, certified as an artisan and they can sell um monday through sunday as long as school isn't in and when school isn't in they can sell on the weekends and in the evenings well and and when kids learn um the ability young some something i i say you know if you look at our bigger companies um around here you look around and predominantly um it is white um you know in those higher paying jobs and um when i thought about things i i know that oftentimes someone's not 
going through every resume and trying to figure out and making sure they're getting diversity and things like that. What people do is, hey, hey, Adelaide, you got a friend that would be good for this job. So it's very yes. like kind of who you know. And yes. this is what I tell people, you know, um, kids in Mount Pleasant, kids downtown, they're all very, very smart. It's who has the connections. Like, yes. And yes. Um, I think by teaching them about entrepreneurship, you could really open the door. And this is what I've been trying to do by doing career cafes for our kids. Um, oh, cool. I've gone into high schools and I'm telling them, because, you know, they're sitting all back lazy on me at first. And I said, mm -hmm. hey, you're making a first impression right now. Your network, yeah. you never know who's coming through this door that could offer you yes. a job, offer you an internship. So Something you want to do. Yeah. Learning it young. I mean, um, you know, my first experience, one of the things I was selling when I was a kid, and I, I wasn't doing it to get anything out of it. My mom just taught me, you work hard. Um, someone noticed that I was working hard, and she sent me a gold necklace. Um, wow. <laughs> because she yes. noticed I worked extra people hard. People notice it. Yes, people notice it. And you're, you are... I have had that happen to me and I have for years, I struggled with dealing with, you know, not trying to be too much. Don't let my light shine too bright because I really noticed it from a little kid, how when others would congratulate me or celebrate me, I paid attention to the way people around me would react. And I noticed that if I was quote unquote doing too much or trying to be too much, it would make them uncomfortable. But what I learned as I got older was that's just who I am. I'm, I, that is just me. I'm going to want to figure it out. I, I believe in good customer service just because I was taught to treat people how I want to be treated. And so I've gotten raises or promotions before time or gotten opportunities that others didn't get. And before I would you know, try to make light of it. But now I realize it's favor, but it's also favor because like you said, you put the work in and people notice it. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what I encourage our kids to do. Um, you know, I have one kid that was selling and he, he kind of just, he wasn't very nice when he would sell the roses. <laughs> and yes. I, was, I was like, come here. I said, tell me, would you buy a rose if I, and I acted exactly, exactly the way he did it. And I said, now do this. Hello, ma'am. And like, I sweet talked, you know, and I said, dude, I would buy like 10 roses off of you if you talked exactly. like that. And exactly. Really, so um, I mean, it is is it is learning so much um, communication and and just also throwing this out for people who would listen. Um, those kids that are selling the roses, most of them are selling it to help their family as young. Absolutely. Kids. So absolutely, very few are just doing it just to do it. Most of them are doing it because it's going to take the load off of their mom. It's going to help a sister or a brother. They're not just doing it because they want to buy a $500 iPhone or something. Mm -hmm. Like they're doing it because they need to help pay a light bill or they mm -hmm. need to help buy school clothes or what, you know, help pay the car insurance. Yeah. And definitely, I mean, it, I, I've definitely had my kids tell me oftentimes they were out late selling to make mm -hmm. some money for the light bill, you know? So yeah. I just want people to realize you don't know where that kid is. So just be nice. Even if you can't buy be nice, you know? because yeah. um, so, they're entrepreneurs they're working hard um, my last thing I know that you just recently put out a book um, yes. so I would love to hear a little bit about your book I want to read your book and I also on top of that I know you're doing kind of a book um, workshop so yeah. um, I would love to hear more about that as well okay awesome well I have actually written and published four books 
the um the last the last one i put up actually is a mentoring workbook that i'm going to share with you and let you look through it and tell me what you think about it it's called grind time and it's an acronym for gratitude respect um, intention necessity and determination and it kind of walks you through that process because that's kind of how we work with our young people but the book you're talking about is my it's like my flagship book it highlights what I do in my coaching practice and how I serve individuals it's called help save me from my broken heart your journey to living and loving again and it takes you through a six-step process of a divine heart transplant we know that when individuals have a bad heart in the natural when you have a bad heart your life is not lived at the fullest capacity you can't walk you're short of breath you're tired all the time well, many of us are living like that mentally and emotionally. Our relationships are shot. We don't like where we work. Our health may not be where we want it to be. And a lot of times that's a sign that it's time for a divine heart transplant. So help save me from my broken heart. Your journey to living and loving again takes you through those six steps. And I actually take you through the six steps and how I went through them and how I'm able to do the work that I'm doing. Like I share a lot of personal information about my story of growing up and, and going through the hard times. And I even highlight some of the things that I went through as I became an adult and got married and learned about relationships. Because I find that even with working with our young people, if the parents had better resources, the children would be in a much better position. When I changed my life, my children changed, hands down. So, so one of the big parts about mentoring and why I'm so so passionate about coaching as well is because I realize I can work with your child, but if you're going, if they're coming home to a toxic parent all the time, it's going to really erase and, and kind of um, negate a lot of the work that I put in. So this book actually can help individuals. It was written to focus on women, but men have read it and gotten a lot out of it too, because it's just human issues that we go through that are often very taboo and we just never talk about them, especially in the black community when, when, when it's almost taboo and frowned upon to really share your feelings because we're taught, suck it up, be strong. But all of that goes back to slavery. Like I'm human. I don't have to do that. I can be strong and cry. I can be strong and let you know you hurt my feelings. So that book helps you kind of work through that process. And the other thing, and all of this information is on my website at theheartconnections.com. And um, the other thing you asked me about was the book writing workshop. So as I said, I've written and published four books and I did a book writing workshop and I have another one scheduled um, for July and, and another, we're going to be doing it consistently because I realize I feel like everyone is an author but everyone will not stop and think enough of themselves to write that book. So I do the book writing workshop because I try to show, I go through the steps of writing the book, but I also try to show the simplicity of it. It's not easy, but it's simple. And I try to do it in a way that's very encouraging. So I do the introductory workshop. And then I also have a next level workshop where we actually start to outline the book and start writing so you can kind of move through the process. And all of that is on my website at theheartconnections.com or on my social media at the Heart Connections. 
Well, um, I just, again, I, I love your story. I am looking forward. I was actually trying to look it up on Amazon to see if I could purchase the book. Um, yes, I, and I can send you, it's on Amazon. It's, um, it's, if you type in help save me from my broken heart, Okay. It should pop up. Mm -hmm. I couldn't remember the name of it, so I was looking it up by your yes. your your name. So I could I couldn't find it. So um, I'll I'll see. Maybe I was spelling your name wrong too. Um, yes, but maybe maybe because I am a author on Amazon, so it should pop up. Okay. All right. So I will do that. I would love to read your book. Um, I'd love to learn more about your workshop. I again, I I appreciate you. I I love how you have you give a sense of hope as you know, mentors as what we're doing in our organization as we're trying to reach our community. Um, we're, you know, predominantly in, you know, Charleston, downtown Charleston, uh, North Charleston areas, that's where most of our schools are. And again, it, it starts with really understanding and seeing people yes. that have come from and where yes. you are. And um, just real quick, last thing I would like to know from you, who are, because I believe that everybody has had somebody that gave them a chance, gave them a shot, mm -hmm. somebody who reached back and pulled you up at some point. Um, I know I work hard, um, but I also know I've had been blessed with people in my life. Yes. So um, I would love to know who is, you know, maybe a couple mentors in your life that, you know, helped you get where you are. Okay. Well, the first one I would say is my grandmother, my grandmother and my grandfather, but he passed when I was about eight. But my grandmother was like my everything. Like I, I'm little Addie. Her name is Addie. Her name was Addie Hato Beach and I'm Adelaide Brown, but I was named after her. So when you hear people call me Addie sometimes, it's, it's funny because that was, that's my grandmother's name. And I had a, my first grade teacher adopted me and over 30 years later, that's still my auntie. I still go to her house. She babysits my kids. Like she's retiring this year from 50 years of teaching. And I wasn't the only student that she brought home, but I might've been the one that stuck around the longest. And I share her because she showed me what unconditional love of a teacher and a mentor could mean. I, I, I know for a fact she was a grace haven for me, her and her husband, which is my uncle and my three brothers. And you know, I, I, because I'm on the spot, I, I, I can't think of exactly everyone, but I, my grandmother, my aunt, well, my first grade teacher, who's my aunt, and, you know, I've had some just really good people along the way that would kind of step in and, and be there for me. I think sometimes we get upset when sometimes there's certain people that have certain titles or should be responsible for us may drop the ball, but I truly believe that God always puts someone there. So I would say my mentors would be my grandmother, my aunt, and my mom, because we went through a lot. But even though she struggled with her sickness of lupus and addiction to drug and alcohol, I, I gained strength from her. She never gave up. I learned how to survive and get to a point where I can now live and, and, and thrive. So I'm thankful for her mm -hmm. and I would, yeah, those would and be the three. I, I love, even when you mention your mom and some, I always say in training, it doesn't matter if we don't approve of what a parent is doing. Kids always love their mom. Always. So always. be careful. Yeah. We're not yeah. there to replace mama. We're there to fill in those gaps where we need to and be yes. offer love and, uh, just one more thing. I had a, a mentor mention this, and it's probably 
one of my favorite things I've heard. Um, he said, and you kind of said it in a, in a sense, he talks about how um, the advice he would give to kids is, and he grew up in a difficult situation, a lot of abuse and so forth. And he says, yeah. Um, and he loves his parents, but he said, um, you know, it does, you, you may not feel loved sometimes. You may be going through all this, yeah. but just know that there are people out there that love you, that don't look like yes. you, that have, yes. maybe don't have something in common, but for some weird reason they do and be open to them because they want to help you. Um, and I, yes. I love that, that you had that open heart for your teacher. Um, and oh, yes. She, I didn't really have much of a choice with her. But as an adult, and I look back on it, it's mind blowing mm -hmm. because you don't see that happening now. Like I was looking for that in teachers for my children. And I realized that my situation was just that beautiful. And th that was what God did for me. But my, none of my children have had a teacher that went, even if she didn't take me home, just the stuff she would do for the students in the class. I mean, bar none. And I just... When I think about her, that was another driving force to work with young people. Because I'm like, I might not be able to bring all of them home, but if I can make them feel comfortable the way she made me feel comfortable, if I can uplift them the way she did for me, that I'm making a difference. Absolutely. I, I love that. And I hope, uh, hope one day, <laughs> maybe, uh, you know, I hear that about a kid or something, because that, that's exactly what, you know, we as educators yeah, there's a lot of laws. We can't necessarily bring them all home, you know, kind of thing. Exactly. But, um, I hope that, you know, kids, you know, feel that love, whether it's through a mentor or through a teacher or something. Um, so absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. And I'd love to chat with you again sometime.